This week on the podcast, I'm speaking with Greg Benz of Luminzia fame. We're gonna be talking about some directions he's taking with this amazing piece of software. This is Twitter. Hey, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today I'm sitting down with Mr. Greg Benz. He is the creator, architect, mastermind behind the little piece of software called Luminzia. Luminzia. My mouth doesn't want to make that. Luminzia. So we're going to talk about Luminzia, what it does for photographers, for those who may not have heard about the software, and for those that have heard about the software, we're going to talk about what he's doing next with it, which is really exciting, and the reason for this interview. So Greg Benz, welcome to the show, man. How's it going? Hey, good, Frederick. Good to see you again, man. Yeah, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. You know, you and I were chatting before I pressed the record button about all kinds of cool stuff, you know, which should have, I was just thinking, that should have been a podcast, right? Because you're talking about VR and AR and crypto and NFTs and all that stuff. And, you know, Luddites and progressive people and all that stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, I know we've been chatting for like 45 minutes now. It was, it was we're on our second podcast. I know. It's totally, I was like, man, I should have recorded that. I should have pressed record. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes you just want to have, you know, sometimes you want to let conversations go out into the ether. All of them don't have to be recorded. So um, yeah. so for the folks that may not have been introduced to you that are new to Greg Benz and or Luminzia, give us the give us the elevator pitch about you and and the software. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a landscape photographer based out of Minneapolis and uh, I'm a working photographer, but I'm also a photographer who's focused on helping other photographers. So I'm a software developer and a Photoshop instructor. So I've got this panel, Lumenzia, and another one called WebShop Pro, but they're basically plugins to Photoshop to help with all varieties of, uh, of imagery. But I think you know, landscape is probably the most common place people would use a luminosity masking panel. Okay, so well, let's start there. So first of all, panel. What the heck is a panel? For those that don't know what a panel is, what's a panel? So it, basically just a collection of new tools. So, you know, when you're sitting in Photoshop, you'd have, you know, like layers and channels and all the little different boxes of tools in Photoshop. And when you install Lumenzia, you get two more little boxes that are my software. So it's basically a way of trying to take, you know, this one size fits all monster, scary Photoshop and narrow it down to the needs of a particular audience. In this case, people who are trying to make more precise selections and masks. So you want to adjust the sky or the tree or whatever it has new tools to help you do that more effectively and efficiently in Photoshop. Excellent. Excellent. And then you just blew right over luminosity masking. That's a lot of syllables. Was it, what, <laughs> what is luminosity masking? What is that? <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the term like literally comes to the idea of using the luminosity, the brightness in your image to make a mask, which is the way you would, of course, you know, say, I want to reveal this part of the image or this part of a change. So if I want to go in and make the sky more colorful or restore blown highlights, whatever, I can create a mask of the sky. And there's tools built into Photoshop, of course, to do that, but they can be a little bit rough when the transitions are hard to create. Whereas if you use a luminosity mask, you're taking the image and basically saying, hey, I want to select all the pixels that are blue or bright or dark or whatever it may be so that you're, you're literally interacting with Photoshop in a more intuitive way to work with the actual image content so that when you make adjustments, they don't look as Photoshop. They just look more natural. Love it. Love it. And then where, where does Lumenzia fit in in terms of the software stack? So you mentioned Photoshop. So where am I using? Am I using it in Photoshop? And then 
finishing in Lightroom or am I starting in Lightroom and round tripping out of Photoshop or am I going over to Capture One and doing some work and then coming back? What's, what's the ideal sort of workflow from your perspective? So it's, it's really, if, if for anyone who's familiar with like masks and selections in Photoshop, which is, you know, kind of your somewhat entry level Photoshop, this is just a more advanced version of that. So it's every bit as open-ended as anything you would use a mask or selection in Photoshop, but it only exists in Photoshop. It, it's built on top of Photoshop. So it doesn't do anything in Lightroom or Capture One or other applications. It doesn't run on its own. It runs only in Photoshop then the workflow can be whatever you want it to be. So most people are going to go maybe do raw edits in Lightroom, bring it into Photoshop, and then they can use a combination of Lumenzia and all the existing tools in Photoshop. Um, but you certainly can use it with Capture One or whatever your preferred raw editor is, or when you're done, export it on to the next step, like maybe you're using uh, Topaz to resize your image or something like that. Um, so it's pretty flexible, but it's it's ultimately just to give you more precision while you're in the Photoshop environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wouldn't say it necessarily something that changes your workflow. It's, it's really meant to fit into that. But once you start mastering these techniques, it opens up so many possibilities. I find a lot of people, including myself, do start to change the way that you even take the picture because it creates so many new possibilities. Suddenly, you, you want to take pictures differently because you realize, oh, if I do this in the field, I'm going to be able to do this other thing in Photoshop that I couldn't do without a luminosity mask. And you mentioned you mentioned it's prim you you primarily, primarily built it for landscape photographers in that genre of people. What about, what about models, models and people that want to retouch skin? Does it does it work well there? Absolutely. I, I wouldn't say I built it for that audience. That happens to be more where I live these days. I, I shoot landscapes and cityscapes. I've done it all. I've done babies and pets and medical devices and you know, weddings and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I can say with confidence it would apply anywhere. It just happens to be the most popular in the landscape community because I think the landscape community has the most, you know, challenging situations in terms of like extreme lighting and the desire to do whatever it takes to deal with that. Um, whereas when it comes to like portraits and all, there's tons of value there. And I have a lot of customers who use it for portraits that do beautiful work. But I think a lot of people are more inclined to say, well, you know, things are good enough in Lightroom and they don't necessarily seek out other solutions. And so there just aren't as many people who are trying to figure it out or as many people teaching in those areas, but you could use it for any type of photography. And, and I do, I've used it on family portraits and things like that, but oftentimes it's an image that I can't share or I don't have model rights or something like that. So I don't end up creating tutorials for these other subjects, but you could use it for really anything. Right. 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 Love it. And, and before we talk about the future stuff, I want to let's, let's go back into the past and talk about the origin story for that software is it the is it the the sort of stereotypical silicon valley you know hero's journey where you're frustrated with something and then created a solution that suddenly other people wanted and you monetized it and now it's all good is that was that the flow or was it something different um yeah absolutely it was um i was um traipsed around with a bunch of other photographers when introduced me to luminosity masks you know like a decade ago and um, I got really interested in the concept. I knew the value was there, but I just really struggled with the tools. There's ways you can do it manually in Photoshop. There's actions, there's other opportunities, but it's a pretty uh, advanced topic. And if you just kind of do it with like basic tools, it's hard because I, I can, you know, use the left side of my brain to think technically and I use the right side of my brain to think artistically, but I can't use both at the same time. You know, I can't like walk and chew. Um, so I, 
ultimately felt like I want to create something that makes the technical side easier. I'll just figure that out. And then when I want to be artistic, I don't have to think about the technology nearly as much. I created a tool that lets me work interactively and visually creating these things with a lot less of having to think about channels and calculations and these other super nerdy aspects of, of Photoshop. Cause I just wanted it to kind of work the way I wanted it to work. Cause if I'm, you know, thinking about the clouds and whatever, the last thing on my mind is like, what are the three technical steps to get there? So sure. it's not like it eliminates all that, but that was, that was kind of the, the goal. Um, and so I set out doing that back in 2014, started writing it and I really just wrote it for myself, but then I started sharing with others and it just kind of snowballed from there. So I've been updating the thing now since 2015. It's just been, you know, I just released version 10 uh, a few weeks ago. So it just kind of keeps growing all the time. Now, is it, is, is the software business your, your main sort of gig or is it, is it a hobby that you do at night and on weekends when you're, you know, sort of not in the cubicle? How, how does, how does that stack up? Yeah. So I, at first I was doing both. Um, at first I, you know, I had a, a day job doing medical device marketing and, you know, automotive engineering before that. And, you know, typical, uh, kind of split attention between a day job and something else. Yep. And I just finally got to a point where I couldn't do both effectively. And so I just decided to pursue it full time. So I've actually been doing this now since 2016, uh, full time and it's awesome. So, uh, my work is, you know, as a working photographer, which you don't see a lot of, uh, if you look at my stuff online, cause it's usually done in person. Cause I sell images of the state of Minnesota to Minnesota businesses. Um, but then the part you do see is me helping other photographers. So tutorials for Photoshop. Uh, the software that I create, that sort of thing. That's that's more the public facing side of what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so cool, so cool. So then, we, we, you know, if you fast forward to today, or actually a couple of weeks ago, when Adobe had their Adobe Max, their annual Adobe Max conference, one of the ten pole features of, you know, Photoshop, Camera Raw, and Lightroom, and Lightroom Mobile, you know, or Lightroom Classic and Lightroom. Um, was the new masking features in there and the ability to kind of instantly pop out a subject or target different areas, you know, with very little effort, you know, kind of versus back in the old day of the old days of the pin tool and, you know, doing all sorts of channel operations in order to get things selected. How does Luminzia play into that world of super powered channel abilities that Adobe just gave us all? So, I, I mean, what Adobe's done, I think is amazing. And I think for people who wanted a complete workflow in Lightroom, that's what they're already doing. They now have more capabilities and a simpler ability to, to go further within Lightroom. Yeah. What they don't have is nearly the complexity of the kind of precise targeting you can do in Photoshop with a tool like Lumenzia, and they don't have the full suite of adjustments. I mean, even, even on the Lightroom side of things, for example, if you want to go in and uh, change every aspect of sharpening locally, can't do that. Camera mm -hmm. calibration, can't do that. You know, HSL, can't do that. There's all these local tools you couldn't apply. And then there's all the other things you can do in Photoshop. So if you move from the Lightroom world to, to Photoshop, you're, you're getting both, you know, a much greater range of adjustments and much greater precision. And I would also argue um, once you get beyond a certain point in the edit, more simplicity. I mean, I think that the, what they've done in Lightroom is great, but if you're the kind of person who's editing in Photoshop and you're routinely getting like 10 layers or that kind of thing, that's not going to fit very cleanly in, in Lightroom. So I think at the end of the day, it makes um, a Lightroom only workflow a lot better um, than it was. And for someone who's using a hybrid workflow where you're doing both, it gives you some, some new capabilities 
Um, per, for me personally, I see it as when I'm going to just do a simpler edit, I can do more of it in raw faster. Um, but for my most important work, my most advanced images, uh, I'm still going to be mostly working the way I did. I mean, there might be some cases where I use some of the new features a little bit, but for me, uh, a lot of times I can do it better in Photoshop. So I'll just bypass that part of the raw and just go straight to Photoshop and, and take it forward. So, um, it's definitely not an either or thing in, in my opinion. And I don't know that it really changes too many people's workflows. And, and from what I'm hearing from other people, that's kind of the conclusion people re, you know, come to after they get familiar with it. Cause these, this new, uh, system in, in Lightroom, it, it's amazing. And I think it's ultimately more intuitive. Um, but it has its own learning curve. I, I found it took me a couple of weeks to start feeling comfortable with, the uh, the new way of doing things. And then it feels really nice. Can you, can you take me through a little bit, just like just briefly what, you know, the superpowers that you get with Lumenzia, right? So for example, on a landscape, say I'm doing an autumn landscape and you know, you're, you say you're in Minnesota, right? So you guys actually have autumns. We don't have autumns here in California, but you know, there's, there's leaves. I hear leaves change colors or something crazy like that. <laughs> so if you those, don't have that. Uh, yeah, it's fake news. I don't know if, if those mythical leaves change these alleged colors <laughs> and you want to target a specific shade in there, what does that look like? Are you able to do that? I know you can't do that with short. Well, you can do it. You can do anything in Photoshop, right? Given enough time, expertise and effort. But with Lumenzia, what does that look like? If I want to, I know that I, I want this specific shade of green in this, this landscape or this specific shade of brown or beige from this, this tree landscape. Can I target that and then, you know, do sharpening and all that other sort of magic on it, you know, after the fact? Absolutely. And and you can do that in Lightroom too, right? You can go in and say, I just want like red and you have some control over the fall off. I mean, the controls have gotten a lot better. Um, but, you know, things like the, the luminosity and color control in Lightroom are very comparable to Blendif in Photoshop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And while Blendif is great, it's a far cry from what you can do when you create a totally custom mask. Um, so let's say, for example, like I go to select the sky in Lightroom. I just get whatever it thinks is the right answer. And I can go in with a paintbrush and kind of manually refine it, but I don't have a lot of freedom. Whereas in Photoshop, I can make the exact sky targeting I want. So if my highlights are blown out where the sky is most bright on the horizon, but not in the clouds above, well, I can just fix that part of the image. Or if I need some kind of a, a hybrid blend of a couple layers, I can control exactly how and where they blend. Um, so it's, it's more about the precision of the, of the whole operation. It's not, it's not that I would say categorically, they do different things as much as it's far more precise. I mean, there definitely are some totally different things you can do. Like in Lumenzia, you can make a selection by how saturated a, a pixel is. That's not an option. Or you could do a selection by, you know, is a pixel brighter than the pixels around it? So you have like, you know, areas that are falling in sunlight, you could select them to enhance it or maybe reduce the effect of the sun in that area. So there's, there are some totally unique ways of making selections and masks in Photoshop, but it's ultimately just the, the precision. Um, and I would also say speed, because there are cases where if you spend enough time in Lightroom, you could go through and kind of manually brush things in, but it's, it's just going to be faster for a lot of that in, in Photoshop. So I guess it, it kind of comes down to this idea of like a canned result versus a custom result. Like if you're the kind of person who goes and buys, uh, you know, preset actions and it spits out like a hundred different looks in this pack and you think like, that's all I ever need. 
then you might be happy with a Lightroom type of approach. It's kind of similar to that versus if you're someone who says, you know, no, I really want to adjust the color balance on this image and tweak this. And, you know, if you're really trying to have that fine control to, to get a better looking result, then that's the, the type of mentality that's going to lead you much more towards going into Photoshop and taking advantage of the more advanced capabilities there. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So much power, man. There's so much power, so much. It, it's almost intimidating, you know, the, the things that you can do versus like you, like you mentioned before, the whole left brain, right brain side of things, you know, you could, you could lean into the creativity and the storytelling piece of it, which you should absolutely be doing. But then the other side of that is the technical and the, the, the process of sussing out that image that you had in your mind's eye in the, the, the most, the quickest and most efficient way possible, you know, and that takes learning and understanding the software and tools like yours and what, what you can do in Lightroom and Photoshop natively and just sort of making sure you know where the limits are so that, or the rules or slash limits so you can break them and exceed them and augment them where, where necessary with Lumenzia, right? So yeah, sure, I can make a selection, but if I want a precise selection, I need to, <laughs> I need to use a tool that's gonna help me get there, right? So, yeah, and I think that's usually like the the most daunting part of things is like if you've only ever lived in the world of something like Lightroom, it has a bunch of sliders. It's a it's a very safe sandbox. I can just move things around and kind of say, oh, it's better, it's worse. Um, whereas once you get into Photoshop in general or luminosity masking or anything in that world, now it's totally open ended and the possibilities are are endless. But you, you do have to have an opinion on what you want to achieve. And, and I think that for a lot of people, it's kind of daunting is, mm -hmm. is you know, I'll, I'll ask a lot of my students, you know, what do you want to do to this image? And people turn to me and say, I'm not sure. What do you think? Yeah. Um, and it's understandable. It's, it's kind of a tough challenge. I think we're used to the idea of telling stories with words and we think about how we write. We're not used to the way we tell stories with images. It's kind of a foreign language. We don't really grow up unless you've done painting and drawing and other forms of art like that. I think it's a, it's kind of a scary uh, thing to get into. It's, it's amazing once you do, because that's how you can really share, you know, this is what it felt like for me to be in this place in this moment. Um, but it's not, it's not arbitrary. Like good art comes from a place of having intention. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and just the, you know, you, you hit it right on the head, just the idea of being able to create either something from nothing or taking something that you created. And like we said, sussing out, what you had in your mind's eye. It's almost like writing a short story, right? Remember back in high school or whatever, we used to write these short, we used to, at least in my high school, we used to write these short stories, you know, whether fiction or nonfiction. And it's easy to have the idea of, or maybe it's not easy, but it's easier to have the idea of what that story is gonna be. But trying to translate that out of your head onto paper or onto the screen in words is something completely different and doing it correctly with the proper grammar and sentence structure and you know all this stuff along with telling the idea with some sort of emotion behind it all that is really really hard right it's really it's re for a lot of people it's really hard when you look at photography very similar right you go out and you shoot a raw file of yosemite or some place like that and take it back and you look at it and like okay what what now right what what do i do do i make the trees greener or what's too green do, should i over you know should i make the sky should i put clouds up there will, will that look real or should i go you know there's a it's infinite infinite choices and infinite decisions that you have to make on that photo and the 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 
kicker is they're all 100% subjective for the most part, right? So, so there's no one wrong answer. And there's always going to be people that look at it and say, yeah, you, did you really want to make the trees that green? You know, and other people will look at it and say, wow, look at those trees. Those are amazing, right? So what's, what's the right answer? <laughs> Well, and, and I think that's the most common trap people fall into, right? Is like they want to bring out every detail in the image. How do I bring out the, all the detail in the shadows and the clouds and the color? And that's kind of you know, ultimately like writing a rambling 10 page story when it could have, you know, been like half a page to explain it. You know, like sometimes you lose the audience by providing too much detail. Uh, and so I think that's part of the art is is becoming a good storyteller and thinking about, you know, for a person who wasn't there, what information is relevant and, and exciting and, and brings them to that place? Because, you know, if I spent a week in Yosemite, I am not going to be able to communicate to you a week's worth of experience with a couple of images, certainly not with one. Um, yeah. So you got to kind of pick your battles like, you know, well, what about that experience was really compelling and, and would be interesting to this person who's viewing the image? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, who was it? Was there, who, who knows? Uh, well, the people aren't sure who made this quote, but they think it is either Ben Franklin or, or, uh, Mark Twain or someone like that. Um, uh, but the quote was, if I had more time, I would have written a shorter letter. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's like right. every time I'm unprepared, I just ramble. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know a lot of people like that. They just, you know, you could you can convince it down like they're lacking that uh, that JPEG compression algorithm in their head that throws away the nonsense and just gets to the stuff that people really care about. <laughs> like everyone right. has a JPEG compression algorithm in their head. <laughs> yeah, which I know is it's not intuitive to think about photography in those terms, but it really is storytelling to me and and that's that's how I think about like you know, what would be interesting to someone else? I'm, uh, sometimes I'm taking the picture for myself and maybe it's documentary, but, um, you know, so often it's, um, you know, what, what, what will make that story interesting? You know, what, what's suspenseful, what's surprising, what's, you know, sensory overload about the scene. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And it goes to like, what, what's your look, you know, what, or, you know, or your, your genre or the feel of photography that you want to be associated with your personal brand. Is it, controversial is it you know documentarian you want to explore this particular political or social issue and you're being known for that or you know maybe it's a particular kind of processing style like all my shots are crunchy black and white on purpose or i'm one of those photographers that says i only shoot in available light you know <laughs> so those people right so you know which is i always laugh at that because uh one one photography teacher i had once said yeah i only shoot in available light any light i have available to me is what i'm gonna <laughs> use <laughs> that could be strobe or the sun but it's all available to me if i you know it's near me. um all right, so so let's let's sort of switch gears and talk about what's coming and what's new or the new pieces that you've developed and released in in Lumenzia and why. So for the people that are already customers that are they're already fans of yours and on your list, talk to those people about what's what's new now and what's coming. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so Lumenzia version ten is the latest version. It's a free update for all customers. Um, it's a, it's a unique release, um, from my end of things, it's the biggest release I've ever made. It's the most work because there's this been this transition in Adobe technology from what they used to call a CEP panel to what's now called a UXP panel. And it basically means I had to take six years worth of work 
and rewrite the whole thing in a year. So mm. most of my time for the last 15 months has been dedicated to basically redoing everything I've done since 2014. Oh, wow. um, yeah, right. But my goal was to make it feel like the existing version. And I didn't want to get distracted adding new features just yet because I wanted to get it over as quickly as possible. So from the customer perspective, it doesn't look all that different. It looks very much like version nine. It has some new bells and whistles, but mostly it's about getting to the new platform. What What's really immediately beneficial is it's going to be faster. Um, if you're on an Apple M1 device, it's a lot faster because UXP is what allows you to run Photoshop natively as opposed to under Rosetta. And um, one of the new tools in Lumenzo version 10 is actually a, a, a speed benchmarking utility. And I have been absolutely floored at what a cost penalty Rosetta is. Um, I'd always heard it's like a 20% penalty, but actually what I'm finding is it takes almost twice as long to do the average task in Photoshop under Rosetta as when you run natively. So that's a huge benefit for anyone on one of these new Apple computers. Um, and then the other thing is just the installation process is a lot simpler. The old CEP panels had some requirements for encryption that made it kind of painful, whereas now you get a file, you double click it and boom, you're done, it's installed. So um, so that's that's kind of the state with version 10, but now I've got this great platform where I've been able to re-envision all of my architecture because I have this unique moment where I have to redo everything I've ever done. And all those moments I've second guessed the way I designed something, I've had the opportunity now to improve it. So going forward, I've got much better capability to start building on top of this. So. This is ultimately just the platform for future expansion um, as Photoshop keeps improving, as I keep adding new features, et cetera. So um, yeah, it's been it's been quite a project and I'm pretty excited to, to finally have it out and, and share it with folks because it's been, uh, I've never spent this much time on any of the prior Lumenzi releases. And it's a little bit thankless, like I said, because it doesn't look all that different, but uh, for me, it's pretty exciting. And it's um, it's been pretty well received. I think I, I'm hearing a lot of great feedback on it. That is really that is really cool. And it is it's really inspiring to to hear the passion that you have because it's still since I've known you you've had the same fire and passion for that app and for helping photographers uh sort of you know realize the the image that they're after, right? And and to have that coming from an independent software developer that is just crushing it and you know living living great based on the fruits of your knowledge and business acumen and all that, I think that's, that's, you know, hats off to you, sir. So very good. <laughs> very cool. Keep doing, keep doing that and do more. Are you, you have any, speaking of more, do you have any other apps in your head that are kind of knocking at the door to get out of there? Or are we, we going to continue refining Lumenzia? Um, in the immediate term, um, more of a focus on Lamentia because I want to keep pushing forward some other ideas I've, I've got that I've been wanting to do, but they ultimately get shelved a little bit because I've spent the last year just migrating forward. So, you know, new, new ideas get kind of put to the, the parking lot for a little while. So that'll be my focus. Um, the other software I already have out now is called WebSharp Pro, which is probably a terrible name because people sort of assume it's about just sharpening, but it's actually all the things you would do to make an image look great when you export it for the web. Um, so if I did that one over, I would definitely change the name to something a little bit more all encompassing because it's like 5% of what it does. So that's um, my immediate focus down the road. I've got a few other software ideas that I'm, I'm kicking around that I've got, you know, honestly, like 75% of the code I've written, I've never released. Um, so I, I wouldn't even know what to tell you in terms of where that might go because yeah. 
I need to spend more time with it and figure out, I, I beat these ideas up really, really hard before I ever share them to make sure that they're meaningful to other people. And the, the idea is well honed and I'm not going to be reinventing the interface when it gets out and people don't like it or whatever. So, uh, these things tend to ruminate for a long time for me before I, I get them out there. But yeah, there's, there's definitely some more to come, but I think the the things to be looking for are going to be, uh, just more updates to Lumenzia and my free panel. I've got a free luminosity masking panel that I need to get migrated up to UXP as well. So that it's another project I've kind of got in the background. So lots of, uh, Lots of software. I think COVID hit at the perfect time for me personally, because I was going to be sitting behind a laptop full time uh, this year, no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like the, yeah. it's like the self, like the, the, the involuntary, involuntary writer's, cabin, writer's cabin, cabin, right? Where writers kind of sequester themselves off to a cabin so they can focus and get stuff done. COVID was that for a lot of people, software developers too, right? Where, hey, you can't go anywhere, anywhere. You just work on that list of items and bugs that you need to work on and, and don't leave, don't emerge until it's done, right? So yeah. there we are. It's, yeah, it's fun though. It's it's kind of a clean start for everyone because, you know, Adobe's made big changes on their end of things and, and the developers are. So, you know, there's a lot of pretty old stuff there that now is either going to stop getting updated or people are going to, you know, move to a new platform. And, and in all that, I think we're setting the stage for lots of growth. Like some of the best parts of this UXP platform, I don't even think developers are even exploiting yet. I think there's going to be just ongoing, interesting things that will happen that, you know, will ultimately look like someone came up with this great idea. But some of that, I think Adobe has set the stage and now it just takes time for the developer community to embed that into what they're doing. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of exciting changes in the years to come. Yeah, no, absolutely. More, more, right? It's been exciting up till now and it's just going to continue. So if, if people want to want to check it out, right, check out the software and maybe connect with you, what's what's the best place for them to do that on the website, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, yeah. Gregbensphotography.com is kind of the hub for everything. I've got a newsletter, which if you join that, you'll have access to you know my free software and tutorials and kind of all the background stuff and down on the footer of the site are, you know, like my YouTube channel and all the, all the other channels here, but the, the website and the newsletter, are the easiest way to get kind of plugged into to everything that way. Love it. Okay. All right. Greg Benz, Lumenzia. We'll leave it right there. Thanks a lot. Thanks for letting me big bug you about this stuff. Cause I'm always interested, especially from a software and a marketing standpoint, how all this stuff goes and what's working, what's not working. But then also, you know, you're, you're not only are you doing that, but you're also on top of the, the changes and the ebbs and flows on the hardware side with Apple and the M1 and also what Adobe's doing because you have to be aware, you have to be on top of that as well. So you've got multiple things that you've got going on over there and you're doing it well and people seem to really gravitate to the software and really love it, especially once they understand it, go to the website, get in there, you know, so definitely head over there and download it. So yeah, cool. Thank you. Yeah, it's yeah. been a big, big year change for a lot of companies, a lot of yeah. people. Yep, for yeah. better or for worse for a lot of people, right? So, yep, the year's not over yet, Greg. We're, it's only it's only December seventh as we record this. So, yeah, don't don't jinx us. So, <laughs> we still got a half a month, you know, three quarters of a month left uh, of craziness that can happen in twenty one. So, oh, right. I, I know. Well, I'll probably release about three more things by then, too. I've actually released the latest version of Lamentia 20 minutes before you and I got on the call. So oh, did I'm, you? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got to like jump back and check. Like, is it going well for everybody? You know, I think oh, so. Man. So you, re you released that? Is it had to go through corporate approval and go through the engineering team and all that in order to get that out? <laughs> 
So, so there are, there are basically two different tracks you can take to get a, a panel out. So you can go through the Adobe marketplace and that's where WebSharp pro is. So if I want to submit an update for that, I do have to like submit it. They review it. Sometimes they get back the same day. Sometimes it could be a week. It varies a little bit, but they do have to approve it and, and they're good about that, but it's not something I totally control. And then you can also go direct. And that's what I do with Lomenzi. It's always been direct. Um, and that's the channel that I, I kind of prefer. It's more open, like with the, the marketplace, it's still pretty new. And, and there's some things I think need to still be worked out there. So with Lomenzia, I literally, you know, put it on my server, let people know and boom, they're, they're in. So sometimes I do a soft push sometimes I do a hard push. Like this one I just did, it's kind of like out there and I shared it with some people, but it's not the kind of thing I'm like blasting out an email to all my customers and saying, go get it right now. Cause. Um, I feel like I'd overwhelm people if I let them know every time I made some update to it. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, keep us posted on what's next. And as you evolve the software into the next iteration, you know, you're, uh, you know, I am, uh, I am hopefully going to get a M1 computer maybe by Christmas, I'm thinking. So I'm still on the pre-M1 Intel, you know, ban well, not bandwagon. I'm just there. That's where my MacBook Pro sits. But I'm looking forward to that M1. Are you on an M1 uh, Mac Mini or using the uh, the MacBook Pro right now? I, I got the, the fully loaded 14-inch MacBook Pro. So this is the M1 Max with all the bells and whistles and I know the 16 inch technically can run a little bit harder, but I mean, this thing is, it's nice. It's compact. The 14 inch screen is plenty good when I'm traveling. And if I, you know, I, I'm not going to leave a laptop in a rental car or whatever. So for me, a 16 inch is not something I want to haul on my back. Mm -hmm. uh, so I love that they've now given us all the features, all the capability in the smaller version. That's, that's a, a nice change on its own, but this M1 max, man, it is a really nice laptop. I mean, the, the speed is the, is the obvious thing that, is I think super exciting. I mean, for example, like, uh, um, uh, why am I buying out the Topaz, um, gigapixel? Yeah. It, you know, if you're sure. upsizing the image to make a big print on my old, you know, laptop, uh, I ran the exact same test head to head and with a, a simple, you know, enlargement on the old laptop, it took 180 seconds and the new one took 30. It's literally six times faster. Um, and this, you know, my old laptop is a 2018 top of the line MacBook Pro. It's not a slow machine. So uh, the speed gains are are very real. Um, I think it's going to start to expose companies that haven't optimized their software for multiple cores and GPUs and all that kind of stuff because the gains really vary. The more optimized the software is, the more that M1 really shines with it. So some of your software is going to be just like blowing things away other pieces of software, maybe they get like 30% faster, you know, it's all better. Um, but then there's all these like other little pieces of it that I really enjoy. Like the screen quality is great having, you know, an SD card reader and it's really convenient. Uh, my personal favorite thing about this laptop, even more than the speed is it never makes a sound ever. Um, I have, I have to deliberately cook the thing running like Lightroom exports plus other things in the background before I can hear the fans. My 2018, if I started using the paintbrush in Photoshop, no exaggeration, I would hear the fans like loudly. They show up in audio recordings like you would hear them on this podcast. Whereas this one, it's just absolutely dead quiet. And it, which I don't know for, I mean, for a guy who's recording sound, that means the world. But for like stress level, you don't realize like how much like having the fans always going starts to 
stress you out a little bit. So yeah, I, I just find is it kind of going to burn up. Is it going to melt? Like what's, what's going on? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause things get unstable when at least historically, when the fan and when, when you're throttling the processor to its limits, things start happening unexpectedly, right? Just like when you run out of memory or in, in you're using virtual memory or whatever, you know, things start happening incorrectly right so yeah to not hear yeah. that fan it kind of feels like it's more it's got a toe into the the ios world of silence right you never hear any sounds from your phone or from your from your uh, ipad or whatever this is the same thing this is a different form factor so yeah yeah interesting 14 inch huh i always always think 15 or 16 i never thought 14 so how do you how do you feel about that so you went from a 15 to a 14 and you don't feel yes more constrained um, or anything i miss i miss it a bit i mean these days i'm not out in the field that much with mm -hmm. you know travel restrictions and all so i'm not you know maybe i'll change my mind on the road but you know my old laptop was was exactly four pounds on the nose the new 16 inch macbook pro is 4.7 pounds i mean that is a that is a lot of weight i mean it was heavy to carry my back already but that's almost like throwing another lens in my backpack and when I'm talking like carrying on my back, I mean, literally I'm going up and down a mountain on a six mile hike. I don't want that on my back. Yeah. Um, if I was just going to the coffee shop or occasionally on a plane or something, then I probably would make a different choice. I probably would get the 16 inch, but it's fine. I mean, compared to my old 15, I, I did, I pulled up Lightroom side by side and I could get like 24 images the way I like to see them on the old machine. And I get 20 on the new one. You know, there's like little differences or when I'm writing code, there's a few lines of text that are not showing or something like that. It doesn't quite fit, but it's not bad. I mean, a 13 inch to me is a really tight space and I don't like that, but the 14 is actually pretty usable. So I know it depends on your needs, but for me, I, I don't miss the weight. This thing's three and a half pounds. So it's, it's lighter than my old laptop. And I mean, it's, it's kind of surprisingly heavy. I mean, compared to the old ones, size for size, it got beefier. And you know, if I was, making all the decisions at Apple, I probably would have said, let's give up a little battery life to make it even lighter. That'd be my preference, but um, it's just a really well-built machine. I mean, it feels like a little piece of art and I don't know, I feel like everyone should be excited about this machine. Like if you're like a, a dyed in the wool, you know, Windows user and uh, you know, you don't want to spend a nickel more than you have to for performance, whatever, you should still be thrilled about this machine because it's going to force every single company out there to up their game. So whether you buy it or you don't, like you're just going to win. You know the old old computers get cheaper. The Windows machines are going to have to catch up. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely revolutionary. I think it lives up to the hype. And I know some people call me a fanboy for that, but I think truly this thing is unlike any laptop I've ever used before. Love it. It, it reminds me. I, I had a chance to look at one a couple of days ago. Uh, it reminds me of the was it was it the mac it, doesn't it share kind of a similar aesthetic to the older was it the was it it wasn't power books it was a macbook the early macbook pros with kind of the 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 more squared off edges you know versus the sloped more rounded soft pillowy edges that we have on the the, the one i have essentially right yeah it's I, so so back in those days i was still building my own windows computers like i was buying parts and building my own machines i mean I definitely have a longer history on windows than i do on mac but I kind of missed that era of, of Mac computers. Um, so I don't remember exactly, but yeah, I, I feel like it has that circa 2006 yeah. kind of yeah. like, yeah. like in, like in a good way, right? It doesn't, it's not like you look at it and think this looks like an old computer. You think like just the way, like you get a modern retro car, you know, you look at like a new Mustang, you're like, Oh, I can see like the design cues, but it looks like a new car. It's yeah. They did a really nice job with it. Yeah. yeah.
All right. Yeah, get on the Apple site after this. Thanks for spending my money, Greg Benz. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. We'll leave it right there. Thanks a lot for doing this again. I appreciate you. It's always always a pleasure chatting with you and and you know geeking out about the future and talking about software and your philosophy there. So I, I appreciate your time and effort. And you know, on behalf of the people that are using the software, thank you for writing the software. So yeah, very yeah, very good. Thank you. Always oh, great catching up. Take care, Rick. This is Twitter.